Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Keith Ashworth-Lord, manager of the Buffettology Fund. Keith is a chartered fellow of the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investment, having formerly been an individual member of the Stock Exchange, and he holds the Investment Management Certificate of the UK Society of Investment Professionals. Prior to setting up the UK Buffettology Fund, he was a self-employed consultant working with a variety of stockbroking, fund management and private investor clients. His work has been rewarded with the accolade of winning three top three sectoral and one top ten general Thompson Reuters Starmine Stock Picking Awards in 2008, 2009 and 2010. Keith has had the privilege of meeting Warren Buffett and his investment partner Charlie Munger on two separate occasions in Omaha, Nebraska. Could you just talk us through your investment style and indeed the objectives of the fund? Sure thing. What we're looking for are really great businesses that we can uh, hitch our wagon to and then just run with them for years upon years upon years, allowing that wonderful power of compounding to work its magic. Um, So it follows that we're looking for businesses that we we think are going to be around in much their present form for the next 10 or 20 years. Uh, They're businesses that that should have growth potential, either themselves in their markets or their markets as a whole. Uh, They should have pricing power. And the key thing we're looking for is what Warren Buffett would call an economic moat. And what that means is they are businesses that can consistently earn excess returns on their capital without those returns being competed away to the cost of capital. And if you can do that, you've got something very special because effectively you're keeping the opposition's tanks off your lawn. And the great thing about these businesses is that they do show, they give off telltale signs. So when we're looking at it, we're looking for high margins, we're looking for high returns on equity, we're looking for high conversion of accounting earnings into free cash flow. Uh, Ideally, we're looking for businesses with strong balance sheets and we're looking for businesses where the management behave with with the owner's eye in the way in which they allocate capital and we quite like businesses where managers have significant stakes in their own business that's a sort of an overview of of the type of business we're looking for yeah so so they're some of the things that uh, you're you're looking for in a business Um, by the sounds of it you're not necessarily uh, too concerned about sector and geographic allocations of the fund in terms of picking those stocks but as, as it falls down, as the fund is currently structured, what, what do the sector and geographic allocations look like? Well, first of all, Richard, you are absolutely right. It's just the way the kaleidoscope shakes down. But the interesting thing is on the geographic earnings, which I'll, I'll come to in a moment. Um, we have a very internationally oriented portfolio. And if you think about it for a minute, if you've got a business that's got something very special, maybe even unique, goods or service, it's quite likely that that will be wanted the world over. And we do tend to see, therefore, that our geographical breakdown is, is really does reflect that. And on the sectors, it's I'll deal with that first. The sectors basically are just what they are. We're just trying to find really great businesses in certain areas uh, you know, of the market they fall. 
we would never be interested in things like miners or, or energy or, or resources or, or oil and gas or banks. They, ju they just don't give us the returns that we're looking for. So consequently, if, if you look at, at, at the current sector breakdown, uh, our, our largest sector is software and computer. That's about 13.2% of the portfolio. Second is financial services, 12.6%. And there's a whole variety of different companies in there. Uh, support services is 11.8 and leisure goods is 10.2%. Uh, the other sectors that we have interests in are, are industrial engineering, technology hardware and equipment, pharma and biotech, chemicals, construction and materials, food and beverages, travel and leisure and media. Uh, so those, those are the sort of sector orientations. Then if we, if we look at the geographical um, exposure, the the UK currently accounts for 33% um, of the earnings of, of, of our businesses in there. Um, Europe is 15%. Uh, North America, it, well, it's actually it's the Americas, but it's mainly North America, is 29%. APAC is 6.5% and other is 6.5%. And the, the, uh, the, the balance there, the 9 point whatever percent, is, is the cash position. So in, in terms of put, putting some, some colour on that, obviously, uh, as, as we're getting to, uh, you're taking a, a kind of bottom-up approach. Perhaps you could talk us through uh, a couple of your top holdings at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the two, the, the two largest holdings in the fund are currently Games Workshop at about 8% of the fund, and secondly, Focus Right, which is about 5.5% of the fund. And funnily enough, th those two are the two highest attributors for performance to the fund, uh, number one and two there. Games Workshop, as you know, is it's, it's a specialised business. It does tabletop wargaming with model armies and scenery and, and, and all the, uh, the, the sort of associated paraphernalia with that. Very, very dedicated, core, loyal basis of, of war gamers. Um, it, it's got unique IP that it exploits. Uh, it's, a, a, it's mainly overseas business. It's 75% of its sales are overseas, but all of its production's in the UK. So you get an interesting currency pair going on there. Um, what do I like about it? I like it. The, the people who play this war, war gaming, they're absolute fanatics. They spend their last dollar on their, their hobby. I was going to say their obsession then, but I corrected myself. And it, it's, it's just sailed through the pandemic, um, not surprisingly. It's a business that it, it has an online presence, it has a big presence in social media, all the growth is organic. It's really what we like and it just throws off cash like you wouldn't believe. Focus Right is a musical products business. Um, it, it was founded on two different strands. One was digital mixing consoles, um, and the second strand was, was actually synthesizers and pads for making music. It's since broadened that product range out, particularly over the last two years, uh, through, through a series of, of acquisitions, the most recent one of which added some high-end synthesizers um, to its business called Sequential. Uh, which dovetailed neatly with Novation. Um, again, it's very much aimed at the uh, sort of amateur to mid to sort of semi-professional market, uh, very dedicated, loyal base of, of, of uh, people who buy that product. And the interesting thing about both these two businesses is 
when you actually go around them, you can almost taste the enthusiasm of the people who work in them. You know, you sort of wish you could bottle it and take it away. It's so special. And both of those businesses have that same uh, quality at that, you know, we really like that. People who really enjoy what they're doing. And in the case of Games Workshop, they're probably gamers themselves. In the case of focus right probably about three quarters of them are amateur musicians as well so you know they've got something special is the key thing that's an interesting point we probably don't cover it enough in this series of what you might call primary uh, analysis which is actually going out there and and doing the walk and meeting the management team you, you, you find that a, a useful part of your armory absolutely and the other thing that we do Richard is we, we don't stick to solely financial analysis we are business analysts we really are uh, one of the very first things we do before you know, when deciding do we like the look of the market and the business is we apply uh, Porter's Five Forces analysis. So we're looking at what's the bargaining power of suppliers to this business? What's the bargaining powers of, of, of customers of the business? What's the industry rivalry, the competitive landscape like? And what are the threats of new entrants? And what are the threats of substitute products? You know, that is a very, very big and early part of our analysis on companies. Okay. Now, obviously, we've been through quite an extraordinary year, 15 months or so. How have you found that the fund is coping in, in that current difficult environment? And indeed, did 2020 give you the opportunity perhaps to, to rejig your portfolio? I wouldn't say rejig it as much, but we certainly we were hyperactive by comparison. You know, normally, I've got the investment activity of a sloth. Uh, I was really quite active last <laughs> year. So what, what we did was when the pandemic struck and lockdown became apparent, the very first thing we did is we looked at the portfolio and we said, is there anything in this that maybe is not going to come out the other side? And not surprisingly, we focused on our direct-to-consumer businesses um, and we, we finished selling down Revolution Bars, which we'd been selling anyway. We cleared out our holding of Restaurant Group and we also sold our holding in Next. Then what happened, as you know, is the market, the market fell like a stone and, and, and took off like a phoenix afterwards. And I'm so glad that we didn't try and second guess markets because there's no way we'd have made a positive return last year if we had. But the great thing was we had quite a high level of cash going into that period. And despite the fact that we did see some redemptions at totally the wrong time, people selling out in April and May, we spent spring and summer adding to our existing holdings. And to give you, to, you know, I mentioned two companies, the Games Workshop and Focusrite. We were buying Focusrite at £3.90. They're over £13 now. We were buying Games Workshop at, at just a shade over £47. And, you know, they're over £100 now. There were some wonderful, wonderful opportunities out there that having the cash allowed us to do. And over that period, we actually took our cash position down from, from well above 12% right down to under 5% by adding to existing holdings. Uh, but I mean, the other thing that we did last year, you know, we've added, we added some new businesses. In, in October, uh, we started a position in Quartix and we finished buying that in January. 
and again in, in January and February uh, we, of this year, we, we established a position in Team 17, the, the games developer. So we were doing quite a lot, and to make room for them, we sold our holding in GlaxoSmithKline. Um, that had been in since day one almost. And if I tell you we were selling out at the same price as we were buying in 10 years ago, we got no capital return out of it. It was all dividend. Several attempts to unlock shareholder value that failed didn't, didn't, uh, didn't gain any traction. So yeah, there was, there was a bit of, I, I wouldn't call it rejigging the portfolio, but trimming at the edges. Sure. So, I mean, in, in terms of the, the, I think you mentioned a, a figure of just over 9% at the moment in terms of your cash position at present which seems uh, relatively uh, comfortable in terms of giving you uh, positioning so so what is your outlook from here uh, where are you looking for new opportunities or or is it, or is it simply that it's a work in progress uh, and as and when you identify something you you've got uh, you've got enough in your watch it's very much the latter but i have to tell you we are currently building a holding in in something new for the portfolio. I can't tell you what it is yet because we're nowhere near there. Sure. But um, we are doing that at the moment and we have actually over the last couple of months, we've just added to, to well, it's, it's actually four of, of our existing holdings where we thought there was a pricing opportunity. So yeah, you know, we, we just pick away. We constantly look at what's offering value. We've always got three silos, the sort of undervalued, fairly valued and fully valued. And if it's the undervalued area of, of our portfolio that we, we really get interested in and try to pick off, uh, you know, little, little, little pieces of businesses that we want to own and just, just build our position there. So, yeah, work in progress. I mean, it's a reasonably uh, concentrated list that, that currently um, makes up the portfolio. What, what just a give us a flavour at, at any given time in terms of your watch list how many stocks out of the thousands available would you be keeping a, a pretty close eye on? Well at the moment we've got 31 holdings in the fund and we've probably got realistically about 20 to 25 on the watch list uh, and, and they'll be there for one reason and one reason only we like the business but we can't get the pricing opportunity and we'll pick those off if the market has a funk so, you know, I, I don't know how many quoted companies there are these days, probably about two and a half thousand of those. I don't think there would ever be more than 50 or 60 that, that were either in my portfolio or very much on my radar. Finally, Keith, just a, a question arising out of something you said earlier and, and the moat, the economic moat and the barriers to entry. Does that itself make stocks more difficult to find? Because obviously uh, the growth that we're seeing in, in techno technological advances are knocking down some of those barriers. You're right. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, of disruption goes on out there. And one of the things that we constantly ask ourselves is, as part of the Porter's analysis, is this business at risk of being leapfrogged or, you know, worse still, its product becomes superfluous, uh, its service is no longer needed? We do, we do ask that question. We really do look for, for robust, enduring franchises. Uh, that's, that's the key to this whole thing, because if you are going to buy a business with the, with, the, with the intention of holding it 10, 20 or maybe more years, you've got to be pretty damn sure that, that what you're buying into is robust and is going to be around and last. So yeah, that's one of the keys. I mean, all I'd say is there are so few great businesses out there. There's an awful lot of dross out there. 
and you know hopefully we'll never find ourselves in the position of, of, of having any dross in the portfolio but yeah it's a, it's a concentrated uh, effort to find the great businesses and then as I say once we've got one we just stick with it forever and a day we invest like Catholics marry for life <laughs> and on that positive note unfortunately that's all we've got time for so uh, many thanks again for your time Keith and for those very valuable insights that was Keith Ashworth Lord manager of the Buffetology Fund and thank you for listening please feel free to like and subscribe and of course you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview bye for now